The NBA and the union are deep in conversations to try and resolve the next collective bargaining agreement before a lockout can set in. We'll get you all the details on that, plus important questions about mental health, player equity, and more. This is Locked on NBA. You are Locked on NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA source for all things around the league from the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host over at Locked On Nuggets. Joining me is David Ramil, co-host of Locked On Heat. You can find him on Twitter at dramil13, D-R-A-M-I-L-1-3. David, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. Not doing well. Looking forward to actual basketball. Not necessarily basketball, but let's say on-court activities <laughs> taking place within a week at, as media day set to kick off uh, just a few days. I can't believe it's already here. It's a week. Like, we're a week <laughs> from training camp, from camp battles, from muscle watch season, from best shape of my career, all of that. Uh, very excited for next week. We'll have you covered on all that here on Locked On NBA. On today's show, we're going to talk a lot about one particular article, and that's Sean Terania of The Athletic dropped an article today. Basically, an in-depth interview uh, discussing the NBA and NBPA's ne- negotiations and progress to whatever degree that there has been uh, surrounding a potential avoidance of a lockout for next season. There's a December 15th opt-out. A number of issues have been discre- the- discussed and are already being negotiated. Uh, Tamika Tremaglio, NBPA executive director, spoke with The Athletic and covered a number of things. We're going to talk about Three of those things today, we'll talk about the mental health aspect in terms of a possibility of that being designated as an actual um, absence for a player. We'll talk about equity and whether or not the players deserve equity actually in ownership of the leagues. Sure, the owners are going to love that. Uh, But we'll start today with the idea of sending the NBA draft eligibility age back to 18. Sharani, I did report that that's on the table for this discussion. Uh, that's something that they've been looking at. The league and MBPA are expected to agree on moving the age eligibility for the NBA draft from 19 years old to 18, clearing the way for the return of high school players who want to make the leap to the NBA per sources with knowledge of discussions. Uh, Silver, Adam Silver said in July that he was quote, hopeful for the rule changing in the next CBA cycle. Uh, both sides appear motivated to get this done. It could go into effect as early as the 2024 draft. This has been coming for some time. Essentially, my read on it, David, is there's been an increased, I think, movement in the last couple of years. If we're going to talk about player empowerment, how are you going to buy into a system that literally makes these players go to college when they're not actually wanting to make that their career? keeping them from the ability to earn for their families, oftentimes in difficult situations. We know how rampant corruption is. We know how difficult some of these situations are. You're not going to get any pushback from management anymore because the GMs have kind of gone the other way. They used to kind of say, we want guys more polished to have some coaching, to have some maturity. And now it's very much like, no, no, no. We want them in our system as early as possible. We want to start working on training and development as soon as we possibly can. It's why, Guys that are 17 or 18 are more valuable in the draft than guys that are 22 or 23. So I'm not surprised that this move uh, is going to happen. You and I have the benefit of having actually seen what this looks like, though, before that rule was made. I think circumstances may be different now for a number of reasons. But what is your 
initial reaction to the news, the NBA is likely to go back to an 18-year-old age limit. Well, I'm surprised the league wants it. And that's, I'm trying to think of why they would stand to benefit, why Adam Silver seems to be a proponent of this. Like, I, I can understand from the Players Association, again, as you said, the player empowerment, the freedom to be able to make that choice as an 18-year-old, basically an adult who can go and vote and can go and potentially die for your country, but you can't get the job that you've been training for for the past 10 years. So I totally understand that. I can appreciate that aspect of it. But where where does the league stand to benefit? And don't tell me they don't because they wouldn't be supporting something if they weren't going to benefit from it. So that's what I'm curious about. Uh, having said all that, I, I have concerns too. Like I, I would love for players to be able to enter the draft and then still have the ability to pull out and then go back to college or go into college for the first time or to pursue other opportunities in basketball until they're better season because we've seen players that are convinced at the high school level or maybe even younger that they're NBA ready when clearly they're not and then their lives are basically broken from that point forward because yes they can go they might get drafted they might not get drafted and they are still committed to this dream and then there's the potential for them to just never actually turn out to be NBA players and that being said they're basically have to rewrite the entirety of their lives because they've been gearing up for this purpose for a long time so that, that's part of it. And then the third part of it for me also is, well, what happens as we continue to see veterans being pushed out of the league? Because now all of a sudden, as you said, with such a premium on 18, 19-year-olds and the possibility of developing them, and now if you're going to keep a 32, 33-year-old veteran on your roster and that's going to cost you $1 million or $2 million a, you know, a year for salary, why not be able to keep these 18, 19-year-olds with some potential as two-way players and continue to add yeah. them to the roster. So, so I, I have a number of concerns there. I think those are all appropriate concerns. I, I'll kind of go through a couple of ideas here. So I mentioned, I believe that circumstances are a little bit different. A, a great cautionary tale here, I think is Kwame Brown, who yeah. not from a basketball perspective, Kwame turned right. into a decent center. Like he didn't work as number one. He was a role player. Yeah. He was a role player. Like he, he had a career, but there was a lot of stories about the experiences that he had where he simply was not prepared. Uh, he didn't know how to go through the process of dry cleaning. So he was literally like buying new suits every day and then tossing them in the corner. Right. And these are like extreme examples. I do think at this point, the league has instituted enough mechanisms, both on a, on a team and league wide scale to provide better infrastructure and that's not just i don't think on the league and team side you also have agents now that have kind of realized like oh we actually like these are kids like we need to actually make sure that they have support systems in place so i i think from that perspective we're in a little bit better spot from a basketball perspective i think the reason that the league wants it is like i mentioned they want them in as early as possible um you risk um them being in a situation where an injury is misdiagnosed or ignored or not properly taken care of at a, at a program in favor of, you know, short-term success because they're focused on the short-term that those players are there versus the long-term health, which is beneficial for both the player and the team that causes separate complications. But that's at least something to consider, you know, getting them in a pure strength training program, I think is good. Uh, keeping them away from zone defenses, always a good thing. You just don't want them around uh, certain basketball programs that, you know, how, where the color orange. And so like these type of things are very important for actually developing them. But to your point, I think the G league is going to have to play a huge role here. I think you're going to need the minor league system to be developed where if you draft a player, because you believe that he's going to going to be an NBA star, 
You love his, his long-term potential, but he's not there yet. Do not commit to just slotting him in at 18 years old, right out of high school, into these environments. That's a tough ask. It's already tough at 19, and he asks, like, what's the real difference? At least in college, you have this gradual step-up process to the big time versus being jumped immediately in with guys that are literal like their businesses unto themselves and they carry themselves as such. So I think the G league is going to have to play a pretty pivotal role in these conversations. The league will do itself a disservice, David, if they do not bolster one, you mentioned like the veterans bolster, make the the rosters wider. I know we're already at 15 creeping up there, make them wider. Like, let's get to 20. Just get them wider so that you can have more guys that are inactive but available. to. They're on your salary cap but are not on the active roster. Agreed. Uh, can there be an expansion of the G League? Because I know right now there's a big use of one as a you know, baseball's farm system. Uh, and I don't know that – does every team at this point have their own G League affiliate, I think? All but one. There's one okay. team that does not. Okay, so so that's still there. I mean, I can't see why they couldn't just expand and have multiple teams there that whether they exist as a franchise or not or an affiliate for a, a pro team, just expand that and have at least some kind of structure in place. Like if you're going to be allowing professional 18-year-olds to play professional basketball, and you absolutely should, as we mentioned, you should also provide them with an infrastructure in place to accommodate them and house them at the United States Rather than perhaps, you know, look, it's, there's nothing wrong with uh, pursuing international basketball. Again, if you want to keep these players here, though, and you want to be able to eventually indoctrinate them into the NBA, then at least have that structure in place. So I wonder if there's any kind of talk. I mean, we didn't hear about it in today's report, but I wonder if there's a potential for an expanded G League where they can have these players available, especially now, because, I mean, there's going to be so many. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder I wonder how many more names we'll see enter in the NBA draft. Now that uh, the the limits are off, and and whether or not we see some players at nineteen after they've tasted one year college say no, I'd like to come back, and and that's fine. But I wonder whether or not now that we're giving them the opportunity, the least giving them the opportunity to go directly from high school to the pros, uh, whether or not they'll just be fully committed. And now we'll see, I don't know, dozens potential of eighteen year olds become draft eligible overnight. Sticking point there is probably going to be money, which also has to do with the other touchy point. I thought from Trania's article, uh, which has to do with equity. We'll talk about that next on Locked On NBA. But first, David's going to tell you about Rocket Money. Yeah, absolutely. Formerly known as Truebill. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? 80% of people have subscriptions they forget about. Maybe for you, it's an unused Amazon Prime account or a Hulu account that never gets streamed. This is a great app I use. Helps me keep track of all of my expenses. And because of it, I no longer waste money on subscriptions I don't even use. You might have heard of it. It's called Rocket Money. Again, formerly known as Truebill. The app shows all your subscriptions in one place and cancels what you don't want for you. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription. Who wants that? To cancel a subscription, all you have to do is press cancel. And Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Cancel unnecessary subscriptions with Rocket Money today. Go to rocketmoney.com slash lockdown. Seriously, it could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash lockdown. Stay tuned here on Locked On NBA.
back here on Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us, making this part of your day and part of your week. We're available on all platforms, including YouTube, where you can join others and watch the show live and check out a video version of the show. Make sure you give us those five-star reviews as well. They help us out so much. If you're a fan, let us know. Find me on Twitter at HBBasketball. David's on Twitter at BRamil13. It's another interesting element from the training article over at The Athletic today uh, has to do with a key word that's going to absolutely trigger some billionaires when they read it. And that's the word <laughs> equity. Uh, this is from Tremaglio, head of the executive director of the MBPA. Um, so I'll read this entire thing for context. Creating general wealth is critically important in this next chapter of the union. Tremaglio told the athletic it's critical to their legacy. Historically, we've been so focused on making money, salary cap, et cetera, but we all know that to have money, you've got to invest. We also know that the uncertain lifespan of an NBA player makes it crucial to plan for what happens after the ball stops bouncing, creating this generational wealth. Thinking about the players' contributions to the game and how they can be compensated for it will mean there will have to be more equity structures in place. It could be the sale of a team. It could be the deals they're entering where they're receiving equity beyond the four or five years that a contract exists. It's much broader, and I don't think historically we've looked at it. It's been the here and now. Uh, this is noted as for the keyword equity sources with knowledge of the situation. said the MVPA has brought up the idea of player only fund able to be used post-playing career as an opportunity to be part of ownership groups of franchises that are up for sale. Players like LeBron James and Steph Curry have set a high bar of increasing franchise values due to their star powers. Uh, are players having money when they're done playing and setting them up in a way that happens for them? That's what equity is. Tremaglio says, okay. So I'll, I, <laughs> yeah. So I'll set the, the table kind of here. If you're entering in this negotiation, both sides are going to essentially volley back and forth ideas that are essentially non-starters. Right. And a lot of that has to do with once you take that off the table, that's a compromise that you've quote unquote made for now. Let's be super clear. This is not a one-way street because the owners, I don't have this reported. I'm just telling you, I would bet 85 to 99% that's happened have probably suggested a hard cap. They probably suggested an absolute hard cap with no wiggle room because that is the easiest way for them to save money. It was a discussion point in the last lockout. There was a group of owners, Ted Leonsis was part of this group reportedly, that was pushing pretty aggressively for a hard cap. Leonsis as you may note, also owns a hockey team, which has a hard cap. Like, they like that arrangement. Uh, that's going to be a line that the MBPA is going to be like, no, 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 no. Like, right. we're not going there. And that's where you open up the bar for other things, which eventually led to, after a very brutal lockout, a reduction in the BRI. So this is the union's attempt at that, to basically be like, hey, so what we want is equity. And the minute that you say equity Every billionaire turns red and steam starts blowing out of their ears. They get absolutely livid about it. Unless you're the Minnesota Timberwolves, I might add. Like, this is a very direct correlation. Tim Conley, an executive, was offered what's basically been referred to as, quote, phantom equity with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And just the word equity was enough to set off Nuggets ownership to where they described another franchise as reckless and acting like a startup in a public press conference I was in. Uh, so, David, I think my question for you is, are any of these measures, whether it's a fund to be used for ownership or potential equity, 
the discussion of money being invested past the four or five years of contract was a interesting distinction for me. Does any of this strike you as something that could potentially actually occur in this next CBA? No, I, it, uh, quietly, no, I, I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see owners, governors, and uh, you know, putting a system in place where they can eventually be bought out. Uh, it just doesn't seem very likely that they'll agree to anything like that. I don't, I don't know. I, I also, from even from the player's perspective, if I was, you know, player 450 in the league there, I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily want to pony up money for a fund either just so I could potentially set up LeBron to buy a team when he's retiring either. Like, I'm not sure that's how it would work exactly, but based on the language that we read in that article, it seemed like that would be something to consider too. So uh, I, I'm just not sure how from either side of it that's something that is a big selling point. Like I, and again, I, I hate to bring it up, but I, I feel like there are other systems that they should be investing in further rather than just the limited opportunities for equity ownership that are going to be available to certain players once they retire. Like there are still, there are still players in the ABA that have yet to collect a single penny uh, in their pensions because of the, 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 you know, the incorporation of the ABA to the NBA and they have yet to recover, you know, recover any of that money. And then during the NBA finals, Adam Silver goes out publicly and makes a big, you know, big production about saying, Oh, we're going to pay these players back. We want to you know, respect the history of the game, et cetera. Well, where's the money there? Like, I mean, you're talking about throwing away, not throwing away. Sorry. That's not spoken. Well, you're talking about putting up, billions of dollars for the sale of a team and yet i mean we're talking about not giving tens of thousands of dollars to players in their 70s who could use that money for life-changing things you know surgeries uh you know medical conditions things housing you know there there are tales of former nba and aba players that are homeless basically living in their cars and they just don't have any kind of money in place so i i understand that the players association particularly wants to preserve their players and, and make sure that um, players that have historically been a part of the NBA get compensated. But then when you start talking about equity being something, I, I, I just feel like that's kind of narrow-minded to some degree. If this is – I don't understand the use of the of the word equity. And, and trust me, I'm not a financial advisor, so some of this is going to be beyond me. But I don't understand – if this is about a pension opportunity, I don't understand not just focusing on the word pension instead of equity because equity is going to be – I'm sorry, it's a trigger word for ownership. It just is. Sure. Like they, they get crazy when you threaten their control over these franchises. I don't think they should. I don't have any sympathy for them. Chill out. It's fine. You still have billions of dollars and own an NBA team, but they get really personality about this. Like that's going to exacerbate things versus if you say like, we think it's really important to take care of the player, our, our former players. There's this conversation always about it's a brotherhood, it's a brotherhood, it's a brotherhood, it's a brotherhood. It's why you haven't seen players speak out against the Miles Bridges situation. It's why you haven't seen players say anything about the Anthony Edwards video. It's why you're not going to see players say anything about particular situations. They will definitely open up when there's something that is to be said about a particularly uh, advantageous or if it's directly against them. And speaking out against injustice is good. I'm not trying to argue it's not. Right. right. But you also can't be like, it's a brotherhood. It's a brotherhood, but we're only going to focus on the opportunities for us to make more money rather than, Hey, why don't you just like, let's work with the, with the ownership on setting on bolstering that pension to making sure that what you talked about, because that was a great point about the ABA. It's a great point about the former players that are, that are bankrupt or living in the streets. Like this just shouldn't happen. If, if you're going to say, we're always going to take care of our own. 
Back it up. Back it up. And that's not, I'm not saying that that's on you to put the money up. I think it's absolutely fair to go to ownership and be like, look, we're an institution that has provided you with these franchise valuations and revenue. It is only right that you protect these guys who gave 13 to 15 to 20 years of their life to this league. We believe the league is greater than just a, a business. It's an institution, even though it always winds up business first. That's fine. You should back that up to some degree. Um, it's a, this is, I, I think, I mean, it's presented as if there's been like positive negotiation on this and maybe there'll be some sort of, you know, actual workaround that, that in, improves opportunities here. Ultimately, I tend to think of that this looks like more like a pie in the sky kind of concept that'll get cut once they get down to brass tacks about the only thing that these two sides really care about, which is the split of the BRI and the money involved. That to me is what will always come first. I, I gotta say also, you know, I, I just like, I understand why it's important for players. Like they've been not conditioned necessarily, but there's this idea that, you know, just keep building your brand, keep building your individual wealth. And, and, and that the goal should be for some reason ownership. Well, you know what happens when players become owners? They become owners. <laughs> they stop seeing things from the player's perspective. Because there's already a former player who's now an under owner in Charlotte. And I'm sure he doesn't side with players too often. Having just gone through those experiences as players not that long ago, I don't think it matters one different one what to him. So I just I don't see why that continues to be the goal. And maybe I'm being obtuse about this, but I just I don't understand. Like all the all the value that you 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 present and saying, you know what? Oh, it, we want to have we want to have ownership over our league, right? We want to have thirty teams owned by former players. But you know what? Once you go on to the other side of that aspect, uh, you lose that perspective. And I, I think it's just there's an inherent danger in wanting to change sides like that. That I, I'm a little concerned about when it comes to this CBA negotiation. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon either. I think I think it's a good point. I think that there is this idea of understandably from the players that the league has been owned and operated by everybody but them, that they make the money and they raise the values. And then honestly, like the league has done this. I said this on Twitter that look, if you're gonna if you're gonna brand the NBA as a players league, if you're gonna make players more important than teams, if you're not gonna work on building fan bases and strong team structures but instead are going to be like come watch x player face x y player on the teams that they happen to be on right now then probably need to recognize that's where the power lies that's where the control lies it's got to be frustrating as a player to understand how much your work and your value brings to these franchise valuations of billions and not have an ownership stake in that property so I, I think it's, as always, I think there are no good good sides. I think there's no good sides in these conversations, uh, but they'll continue to be discussed. Let's take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about, there's another element mentioned in here that is probably going to cause a little bit of controversy. We'll talk about that as well as a few more items as we wrap up here on Locked on NBA.
Thanks for making Locked On NBA your first listen. Now go and make the NBA Top 50 on Locked On NBA your second listen. Which NBA player moves the betting lines the most this season? Locked On and the Bet Online Ozmakers present the NBA Top 50 Most Valuable Players. Find it on Locked On NBA wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. Final segment here with David Ramil talking about the Sean Sarania article breaking down the latest CBA negotiations. And David, the one that's probably going to create the most controversy because nobody likes talking about the money side is going to be the mental health designation. Uh, there's been talks on essentially allowing players to cite mental health issues as an ailment similar to physical injury per sources with knowledge of the talk. So basically what we're saying here is instead of a player saying, look, I'm going through some things, I need to be away from the team, and the team having to essentially excuse them, the player could just be listed as out with a mental health uh, issue and that can be standardized. This is a thing that seems like a really good idea that everyone that I've talked to has a lot of okay, but about it. Um, I think on the surface, it's great because it essentially removes a negative norm. It removes the stigmatization about it. The, this is something the NBA has been very forward and honestly, appreciably so as somebody that I, i'm diagnosed clinical anxiety it's i really appreciate the fact that the nba has made these strides in pursuit of normalizing these type of things that people do go through these things and they it does affect them and their work and that's important i think some of the consequences are probably going to be difficult for teams fans and media to navigate if this were to pass i yeah it's uh it's terrifying like uh, hearing you describe it and it's just like all i can think is what a slippery slope uh you know for for ben simmons who i'm sure did not necessarily want team sources to reveal that he was uh battling mental illness you know like we saw this and then immediately after the report comes out everybody questioning it and challenging him. And, and I can't imagine he could possibly spend a day walking in public without somebody criticizing him and, and chastising him and, and calling him a coward for just being honest and open about something that could be impacting him at a great level that nobody, nobody else is privy to except for him and his doctor. And, and, and I can't, I can't see, player X in the middle of a playoff race in, in March saying, I, I just can't do it today. I just, uh, I'm struggling with anxiety. I can't do it. Or I've got extenuating circumstances, you know, a, a myriad of possibilities and reasons why valid ones, why they can't lace up for a highly competitive game where they're putting their bodies and minds on, on the line on a nightly basis. And, and, and then fan base X also going, Oh, well, you know what? He's having a bad day. I totally understand. I respect him for being able to say, that he's not ready right now. <laughs> I mean, we saw what Simone Biles uh, challenged. This is a woman who had already represented her country as admirably as you possibly can, one at an incredibly high level on behalf of her country, representing that country. And then that same country says, oh, you're not ready for the responsibility, you know, and then criticizing her, insulting her and degrading her and her humanity. That's, that's what I think is, is potentially on the line here. And I, I liked your use of the destigmatization. I wish I could say that properly. But anyway, I, I want that to become more normalized in today's society where you could just say, I can't. I can't deal with work today. You know, we, 
And at the same time, I just I think it's going to be a slow process. And I wonder if the if the league instituted this designation, whether or not that would kind of snowball or fast track this process. If that's the case, then yes, I guess go ahead and start working towards a, a much more open minded society where we just say you can take a day off for a mental or physical illness and, and that would be absolutely fine and acceptable. It's just so unlikely and and just there's nothing sensible or logical when it comes to fandom and i just have a hard time seeing players uh be respected for their choices and for their decisions to make and and look it's even a component in the in the cba that they're discussing according to this report you know where fans uh they want fans to treat players more effectively or, or, or nicer you know and 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 i just i think it's all gonna it's all gonna build up here to a very negative point very quickly that's just yeah. my sense on it yeah, I want to talk about that as well. I think your your point about Biles, I think, is well taken, and the fact of of these things. I think here's what I'd say: if you <laughs> this is already like players have already missed time with mental health issues, sure, and were simply never reported. Right? You have situations like Demar Derozan or Kevin Love, like being very open and honest about these situations, but there's yeah. probably been thousands where players having a hard time, and the team's just like. Yeah, he's got a sore ankle. He's not going to play. Like he's out. Right. He's got a hamstring. Is he with the team? No, he's, you know, he's he's getting treatment. That that's just it's pretty likely. We know the incidence of mental health issues in the country, and we just apply those pretty commonly across the NBA. It's very likely this has already occurred. So, on the one hand, I'm, I'm sensitive to making sure that the players want the information to be disclosed and the possible negative feedback against what are very valid and real issues. On the other, I'm just, I'm too jaded, David. I, I will view this as ultimately there are, as it is with every loophole and a thing in the NBA, there will be entities, people, there will be players that will use this in whatever pursuit is necessary towards their goals, whether or not they're going through these issues. You're never going to have a thing where it's like, oh yeah, you have to get like the NBA and MBPA are not going to agree that, oh, you have to get diagnosed by a doctor in order to have this diagnosis. Like that's never going to happen. That's not how mental health works. It's just not. Uh, and if it was, it would be wrong because it, it would establish too high of a standard for what a lot of this is and how fluid mental health situations are but i worry i i do worry we've we've seen players exert so much pressure on these franchises over the last 10 years and so i worry about any mechanism that allows them to essentially not play while getting paid and not being with the team like that's a pretty common thing and so i have concerns about how that's used do i think that that's like the vast majority no i don't i think this is again i think there's real positives to this but I have some concerns about that. And I have the same kind of concerns. You mentioned the, the fan thing. So in the article, essentially at the bottom is basically a footnote. There's a discussion that she and Silver will soon release a joint statement, stressing civility among the players, fans, the league, the players union, and everyone surrounding them. The NBA PA has a strong desire to share a deeper holistic view of their players with the world. Our quote, our players are amazing men who are incredibly generous, our businessmen who have family who struggle with work-life balance just like everyone else. This is a common refrain from players that they want to, they, they wish that the public and media would view them as 
people? People and not just product, not just assets, not just stat pages and not just, you know, icons. And I think that that's totally fair. I will say in all of these conversations and all of these discussions of brands and businesses and I'm a business and I'm a brand and I'm going to do what's best for me and the lead, this team doesn't care about me. So I'm not loyal. Nowhere in there. Is there ever a discussion of the fans place in a social contract in the NBA? Now are, do we have incidences of the fans being, I can't curse here jerks. Yeah. Do we need to, does the NBA need to increase security and harshen penalties against people that are doing the kind of things that we're talking about? Yes. Do I blame the players for the reaction to those situations? Obviously not. But at the same time, there does seem to be this very much like, I don't know that the fans and players have ever been further apart. I don't know that the fans, uh, that the players and media have ever been further apart. And so some of this stuff feels, it's going to feel one-sided coming from just the MVPA side. But like, this is part of my concern is the owners are going to get represented because they have all the money and the players are going to get represented because they have all the attention. And it feels like the teams and their employees and the fans are the ones that are going to get excluded from a lot of these conversations. That's an interesting perspective there. Um, it's okay to disagree. No, I, I don't uh, I don't necessarily disagree. I, I just I, I just can't believe that I can't believe that it's something that's going to uh, that the future of the league is going to hinge on the idea that that fans should be more respectful players. Is that an oversimplification? Like I just like we've seen too many incidents in the past, and maybe this is just you know a player like you know Chris Paul, who obviously has a, a loud voice in, in player association uh, you know proceedings, and LeBron James, uh, you know having their family members attacked to some degree, and and seeing multiple reports of these kinds of things on an annual sure. basis, and maybe maybe it's just you know, with the, the 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 widespread use of mobile phones, obviously you can record all these incidents and you see them magnified and, and things of that sort. So maybe these things have always happened and we're just only more, you know, finding out about them more and more now because of yeah. social media and phones and everything else like that. But I just, I just, I, I just, it's so hard for me to think that you pay the kind of money you do to follow your team, to go see, you know, sit up close, to be part of the action. And you're, you know, I, I, before I had a chance to be a media member, I, I would have killed for the opportunity to sit up front and sit in the first few rows and be able to watch these players and see them interact up close. And and then to be at, have this opportunity just so you can go and insult them and their family members seems like I, I just don't understand. And I know alcohol plays a part of it, and I know fandom, again, there's nothing logical about it. But They're yeah, but, so my only pushback here is like, we wind up blurring these lines because they're fans. Like, this is like human decency. It's just like the, it's like base human decency. And I personally have a hard time believing that these individuals that engage in this behavior, that they're like saints when they walk out the door. Oh, hell no. Yeah, absolutely. That's been the, that's been one of the perspectives that the teams have tried to push, which is like, well, we, you know, they've been a season ticket holder for however many years and we've never had a problem. They've been a jerk for that long. Yeah. That's basically. Yeah. I'm like, I don't care. Like, (laughs) if if you engage in this type of behavior, it is a, it is a telling reveal of who you are. Um, I think there is a, for a lot of re- I mean, there's like a, a million crossover reasons for this. We've seen an increase in public, uh, acting out. That's right. that's not an appropriate word for it. Um, horrible behavior. I'll just say it. We've seen horrible behavior since the pandemic. That's just, there's just been this increase of it. It's just been a societal yeah. 
problem. So it's not surprising it manifests itself in environments with high tension, lots of excitement, lots of people and alcohol. Like that's not surprising. I, I do wind up in the, in the scenario though of, I worry that the players are, are trying to position themselves as these business entities and mm -hmm. at the core of it, the fans are still the ones that drive the money. I just can't, not these fans, those fans can, can go away forever. I want to be clear on that. But I do find that there's, there have that the players intentions and motivations and honestly, the teams as well. It just really feels like everybody thinks that this money train drives itself and that the fans don't exist anywhere in this. You think there, there's a, a risk of alienating fandom by incorporating this kind of language? Because I just feel no. like 95, 99% perhaps of fans are going to be fine with it. Yeah, not the language. Right. The, the statement's fine. It's I'm, what I'm trying to get at more is this is like a priority for the players, right? The players very rightly are like, hey, why don't you not yell, yell slurs at us? That, right. what, why don't we, we could probably get that to be a non-starter, right? That's, that's a pretty you know, completely reasonable position. I think where I'm trying to come from is more of a matter of when we look at the broader scope of where the league is at with trade demands and free agency and how much the conversation is about, I'm not going to be loyal because they're not loyal to me. Like those types of dynamics. And I don't necessarily, I'll say this too. I don't think that those things have anything to do with the intention of this statement, which is to get fans to stop acting like jerks right. at games. Right. Like those two things are not related to me. This is like outlier bad fan behavior versus a general sentiment of where the fans relationship is with the, with the players in the league. And maybe that's a mischaracterization. Maybe everything's good there because the money keeps rolling in. Um, I do think on the mental health question, again, but just to close up on that, do you think there will be a stigma by the players? Like, do you think, do you think a lot, do you think most of the players will be comfortable with teammates listing themselves as out because of this designation. Do you think that we're at a point where that will be supported? No, Ooh. no, no, not at all. Um, again, I mean, we're talking about uh, the, the emotion of a playoff chase and, you know, let's say in, in a you know late March game where you need to win early April game where you're, you're, you're fighting for seeding and you've got player X that, you know, could still just be very uh, obtuse about uh, mental health issues and things of that sort, and just say, you know, oh, you're gonna you're gonna take a day off if we're depressed. Like there's just there's too much uh, machismo, there's too much ego uh, in the league because you're you're, you're the, these kind of alpha dog mentality and stuff like that. I am him sort of mentality. Uh, I just can't see I can't see a player that might be you know having a hard time going through whatever issues might be impacting them and then other players being okay with them taking a day off because they're depressed again, oversimplifying things, but that might be a, an issue that we could see crop up and, and then other players being okay with it. It's going to be whispered about to some degree. And I know we'd like to think that our players are much more open-minded uh, about these kinds of things, but I, I don't think we're there yet. So I think there will be, there will be an issue. And, and then, yeah, the fact that these kinds of things are going to be made public to some degree, like I, I, I almost wish it could just be covered under some larger umbrella of, you know, personal reasons. As we saw with Kyle Lowry last year in the Miami Heat, the team that I happen to cover, you know, he missed a lot of time due to personal reasons, were, which of a personal nature, and we shouldn't know what it was that he was going through. But I wonder now if this, this designation and the language it entails. And again, when, when you have a playoff future uh, at stake here, 
whether or not we're going to start to dig into these things and, and find out more and more about why these players are taking this kind of time off and then whether or not he's <laughs> to tie it all together. Do you think a fan's going to be civil about a player being depressed and, and having to take some time off and potentially costing you know that fan's team yeah. uh, you know, a playoff seed? Yeah, I just I can't see that. You know? yeah. One thing is you know, you're, you're going to call a player the N-word use racial slurs and then you're also going to call them, uh, you know, something worse or not, not necessarily worse, but something just as bad questioning their mental health. I, I just, it's going to be a slippery slope. Like I said, all right, let's go wrap it up for locked on NBA. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back Tuesday with John Corrales and Jake Madison. Make sure to check out uh, Nick Angstot on Wednesdays, as well as all sorts of great stuff throughout the week. Make sure to check that out on locked on NBA. We'll see you guys again next time for David Ramil. I'm Matt Moore. Thanks for joining us on locked on NBA. Mm-hmm.